Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Turn with me to Matthew, the fifth chapter. We began our series this morning on the Beatitudes. We're calling them the laws of discipleship. The laws of discipleship. Matthew chapter 5. And this morning we talked about what it means to be blessed. I don't know if it meant anything to you, but it sure meant a lot to me to know that I've been dwelt by the nature of God. To know that I have been removed from having to allow the external things of life to get me down. And to know that I can be fully satisfied in Christ, in whom I'm complete. And that's what it means to be blessed. We talked about it this morning, that the word happy just doesn't really suit the word. For happiness depends on happenings, and usually the externals of life cause us the defeats. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about being blessed, indwelt by the nature of God. And so tonight I want to talk about law number one of laws of discipleship, and it's in verse 3. And let's just read 1 and 2 as we catch the context. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set or had sat down, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, he uses a word in this that I think that we need also to understand. You know, the word blessed is such a key word. But the word poor, what is he talking about when he says poor in spirit? You know, a lot of people think, well, hey, you know, the Beatitudes are kind of sad. I've had to be poor and meek and all these things. What are we talking about? What does he mean by that word? And so we're going to look into that tonight. First of all, I want you to see the requisite of being poor. The requisite. What's required in this? What does this word really say to you and I? The requisite of being poor. There are two meanings are two different words for the word poor. Now, one word, the word panea, is a word that means I am poor, but I'm still able to help myself, okay? I'm poor, but I'm still able to help myself. I may not have much, but I can still get out there and do something for myself. But then there's another word for poor in the Scriptures, and that word, I won't even try to pronounce it. I'm just, I'm ashamed. I can't even get it out. But let me spell it for you, okay? It's P-T-O-O-C-H-O-S. I'm going to practice that, and I'll have it right by next Sunday. But it's P-T-O-O-C-H-O-S. That's the Greek word for poor. But it's another meaning altogether. And this is when we begin to see the picture bright. This word does not mean poor but able to help yourself. This word means absolutely, totally, 100% helpless. I cannot help myself. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I cannot do one thing. As the paralytic that lies on the bed, he cannot do one thing to help himself. That's the word that is used in the Beatitudes. Not poor to the place that you can still do something about it, but poor to the place that you're helpless, you're bankrupt, there's nothing that you can do to help yourself. Let's look at this in another context. Hold your finger there and look over in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we find the word surfacing again. that gives us a little bit more of the meaning of what God's talking about when He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Absolutely helpless. Chapter 16 of Luke and verse 20. 
And you remember the story very well of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's describing or beginning that story. And it says in verse 20, And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. Now the word beggar that's used in that verse is this same word, absolutely helpless. Now there are other Greek words for beggar, but this particular word was translated beggar because of the impression he was helpless. He could do nothing whatsoever to help himself. Now, as you look at the scripture then in Matthew 5, he says blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? Indwelt by the nature of God, full of the peace of God regardless of circumstance, absolutely fully satisfied. Blessed are the what? Helpless. Absolutely the helpless people in life are the ones indwelt by God. But wait a minute. We've got to finish it out. How are we helpless? He says poor in spirit. A person who is absolutely helpless spiritually. He can do nothing that's good enough to help himself. This is the man that is indwelt by the nature of God. You see what he's saying? The first law of discipleship. How do we have the nature of God? How can we be fully satisfied with him? We have to admit the fact that we are absolutely 100% spiritually helpless. Now, Nicodemus had a similar problem, didn't he, in John 3? When he came to Jesus at night, something was wrong in his life. What was wrong with him? He was religious, a good man, a moral man, as Phil shared this morning as he testified before the whole body. He said, I was a church member for two years. I played church. I was religious. Same thing with Nicodemus. Same thing with, with Dinah went through this experience. And others of you have been through this experience. Thought you were saved. But one day you came to understand you were absolutely, totally, 100% helpless to, in the area of spirituality. You couldn't do anything that was pleasing in God's eyes. And Nicodemus had to see that. He wanted Jesus to teach him, to expound upon the Scriptures. But Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, you're helpless. You'll never understand these things as you want to because you've never been indwelt by the Spirit of God who reveals the mind of Christ, the things of God. And so a person has got to be spiritually helpless. This is the first law of discipleship. And as I was preparing this and putting it together, well, the Holy Spirit just really impressed me that not only is this the attitude by which we are saved, but it's also the attitude in which we maintain the fellowship with God daily as a Christian. Colossians 2.6 says, As ye therefore have received Him, so walk ye in Him. How did you receive Christ? By faith. Why was faith required? Because you couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't do anything about it. I was helpless. I had to trust that which God had said was true. And when I trusted Him, and when I stepped out and received Him into my heart, it became a reality in my life. I was born again. That was the way I received Christ. Admitting that I was spiritually helpless, that I had to depend upon Him, that's the way I received Him. By faith, I asked Him to come into my heart. Now, wouldn't it be marvelous if we could all get a hold of the fact this is the attitude that we must live by every day? What do you think it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? It means to be empty of yourself and to be full or controlled by that which He has put within you. When I start depending on Wayne, I don't walk in the fullness of God's power. <laughs> but when I realize that Wayne can't, but God can then I have come back to the very primary law of discipleship. I've come back to spiritual emptiness, spiritual helplessness. And I've said, oh God, I can't. And God said, I know, but I can. 
Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He didn't say, I can do all things. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why is it we're not fully satisfied? Those of us that are here tonight that have admitted at one point in our life that we were spiritually helpless, we received the nature of God, why is it we're not fully satisfied? Why is it we're not walking in the midst of all sorrow and suffering and yet at the same time peace in the midst of the storm? I believe it's because we have forgotten the primary attitude that we came to know Christ to begin with. That we were spiritually unable to help ourselves. We had to depend on our covenant partner that we have so beautifully been joined to. And God then does it through you and I. And so spiritual helplessness is the first law of discipleship. Who is it that's blessed? The people who are been, have been willing to admit that they are bankrupt spiritually. They can do nothing. They're empty. They're helpless. They're poor in spirit. Now, I want you to see the second thing on our outline. The requisite then of being poor is to be helpless, spiritually empty. And to admit that. You know what the hardest thing in the world is to admit that? There's some people who are so proud they're, they're good people. I know when if I can go back and invade upon Diana's experience for a moment not to embarrass her. But she came to me and she said, Wayne, she said, I'm not saved. Now, I live with my wife and I know what a beautiful person she is in all ways. She never talks about people, doesn't tear people down. Some, she does not, not a gossiper. She's not one of these kind of people. She doesn't have wrong thoughts. I didn't think. And she doesn't do all these things. I said, I said, Diana, you're wrong. You're just out of fellowship. And I try to talk her out of it. But she says, no, Wayne, I know what I'm talking about. Has your wife ever said that to you? I know what I'm talking about. I said, well, tell me. She said, I have never seen myself as a sinner. Hey, now that changed the whole picture. Hey, that's chapter one where we've just moved into a new volume. She said, I've never seen myself as unrighteous. I've never seen it like I'm seeing it now. I realize now I am bankrupt. Nothing Diana could ever do would be pleasing to God. And she admitted it. How many people grip the, the pew every time somebody preaches? And the person knows that he's religious and lost. He knows that. There's no witness in his spirit. No hunger for God's Word. No victory in his life. Nothing. And Romans 8.16 says, My spirit will bear witness with your spirit as to your, that you're children of God. And he has no witness at all in his spirit. He knows that, that something's wrong. And yet he does everything that he thinks is right. Why is it he won't turn loose and admit he is spiritually bankrupt and unable to help himself. Billy Graham, Charles George Truett, I don't know how many others have made the statement that if they could just know that 25% of all the people who claim to be Christian are really born again, they said they could rest at night. Now, I've heard that many times said. But I want to ask you tonight, are you born again? Are you blessed tonight? Has there been a point in time in your life, and maybe you can't remember that instant, I'm not one who says you have to, but I think you're going to know if you're saved. You can't remember exactly when it was, but you can remember, you know the fact that there was a time in your life that you saw yourself absolutely spiritually bankrupt. And there was nothing you could do. Nothing. You were helpless. As I watched the movie Joni, did you ever go see that? And Joni, who was had this swimming accident and was paralyzed, and I saw her there and she was strapped down and she wanted to do something in the first few months of her life. She couldn't do anything but move her head. And I thought of the helplessness and she had to be fed and she had to be, everything had to be done for her. 
And I got a little bit of a picture of what I believe it means here to be spiritually bankrupt, to be spiritually helpless. And a man's got to see that. How are we going to be saved if we never see ourselves as unable to help ourselves? That's why I'm so thankful for how the Holy Spirit has breathed this word. This is God's word, folks. And it was no mistake that God chose to use the word he used there. He said, poor, not able to help yourself even though you're down and out. Absolutely helpless. The first law of discipleship. But I want you to see the reason for that. What is the reason for being poor? I mean, why would God do this? Why is it set up this way? A lot of folks don't understand this. Well, for those of you that are in my class, you just hang on now and act like you hadn't heard this before, but I want to go back over a few things. You see, man at one time was not spiritually bankrupt. He was in oneness with God in the garden in Genesis, the first chapter. And he was created as an extension of God's life, an expression of God's character, an exhibit of God's power. And it was a beautiful picture of man in a oneness with God in God's garden of provision. But God put a restriction upon man because he's always required chosen obedience for his followers. And man did chose not to obey God and chose to disobey God. And immediately death entered. Physical death became a reality. And that's a blessing if we had time to go into that. And spiritual death was immediate in his life. And Ephesians 2, 1 says you were dead and you trespassed it in your sin. What died? What died within man? God's life died within man. Man was now of another seed. If you look over in Genesis sometime when you have the time, in Genesis 5 it shows you that man, first of all, lost God's life. It says that he had sons and the sons were not in the image of God. The sons were in the image of man. No longer was the image of God on this earth. Now it's man. There's a seed that begins to spawn sin down through the generations. You and I, all of us, were born with that seed of Adam. And nothing about that seed is pleasing to God before it was conceived and born out of disobedience. So man needs another seed. He has to be born spiritually so man could be put back into the garden of God's provision. And so God came to Abram in the 15th chapter of Genesis and drew him out and made a covenant with him. And he promised him a seed. And that word covenant is the strongest language of relationships that we know. Why did God pick, in a, pick a pagan ritual like this? To help man understand how he wanted to be related to him? He gave him that promise of a seed and everything's beautiful. Why don't we go right from there to the new covenant? Because of this very factor in the Beatitudes. Man has got to see himself as totally unable to help himself. If he doesn't, then he comes to Christ and he holds on to part of him and tries to do it with part of himself. And God wants none of that. No flesh can be pleasing in God's eyes. And so the old covenant came about. As I was sharing with our class tonight, it's kind of humorous to me. God set man up. It's a beautiful picture. He led him to Sinai. And took Moses up on the mountain, gave him the law, and put it on stone. You know why? Because man's heart was just as hard as that stone. And he brought that, those stones down. And you know, God, Moses told the people that God wanted them to, to obey his laws. And what did the people say? We will do everything God told us to do. Where in the world did that arrogant attitude come from? From the seed of Adam. Every man born of Adam has that in him. I can do it myself. And so therefore God had to raise a standard called the law. The old covenant in front of man. Okay, man, you're so good. Okay, here's what I require of you if you want to be in my family. 
What happens? Man could no more do that. As Paul said in Romans 7, 9, he said, I was once alive without the law. Then the law came and sin revived and I died. Man, listen, he didn't know it was wrong to covet. And then the law came and says, thou shalt not covet. And he woke up and said, okay, today I'll not covet. You know what happened? Covet, 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 covet. And he couldn't help it. And he had broken God's law and broken the covenant of God. But what had that law been used for? To expose in him his spiritual bankruptcy. That anything man does is never pleasing to God. For he's of the seed of Adam, born out of disobedience. He must be born again. Proverbs says the plowing of the wicked is sin. He could get on his tractor and go out in the field and plow his field. And that's sin in God's eye. For he can do nothing but produce that which is unrighteous. Man's in a dilemma. And God's got him right where he wants him. And God decides now it's time. I'm going I'm to make a covenant with man. And I don't want anything to do with man. I want to replace man with myself. And he looked down to find a person to cut covenant with. And there was none. None righteous. No, not one. And Jesus the Son came to this earth as a man and fulfilled the expectations of the law. Not only that, He bore the curse of the law, which was death upon a cross. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. And listen, friend, now when we enter into Christ, we enter in through the way of death. And you know what that means? That means that God no longer wants anything to do with us. He said, I want your right to think as you please. I want your right to love as you please. I want your right to do as you please. Give it to me. Oh God, why? You're so hard. And God says, no, I'm not hard. I'm simply telling you I'm going to exchange what you are for who I am. Which is exactly His purpose in our life. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. How does He live in you? When we realize we are spiritually helpless. We are poor in spirit. Not only is that the attitude that we receive the nature of God, that's the attitude we maintain that full satisfaction of which He has given us as salvation. Why do we or are we poor? I think it's a pretty good reason. God has got to show us that if you don't need Him, then why salvation? And many churches don't need the Lord. They never ask Him about anything. They always do things out of their own thinking. And oh, my friend, it's so sad because if we just realize tonight, we're bankrupt. We're unable to do it. It's God in us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now let me ask you. I asked you a moment ago, were you saved? Are you blessed? Do you have that nature? Now let me ask you this again, one more time. Are you living in the fullness of what God says is yours? Well, Wayne, what's the secret? Are you listening? <laughs> it's to admit, God, I can't. And when you do, God says, I know. Now, are you ready? Yes, Lord, I'm ready. Okay, I can. Let's go. So that no man can glory in himself. I don't know why in the world we don't even see that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, Look in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 2. Verse 1 and 2, I think, would help us to understand it a little bit better. It says, Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is thy, my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye built unto me? Where is the place of my rest? Now watch. For all those things hath mine hand made, 
And all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Where is God going to dwell? He's not going to dwell a building. He's going to dwell and live and reign in the hearts of people who are willing to admit that they are poor in spirit. That they can't do it themselves. And they release that burden unto Him and He does it through their life. Psalms 81.10, that verse that has come up how many times since we've been preaching the last few months? It came up, I the Lord am your God. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I will fill it. The only thing we've got to do is to make sure we're aware of our need and be willing to admit we can't fill it ourselves and then receive that which only God can give to us. Well, the requisite is helplessness. And the reason why God says that we need to be poor is so that He can exchange Himself for us. That's a pretty good deal, don't you think? All that I am for all that He is, I'd take that any day of the week. But I must admit that I'm unable to help myself. Some folks just think too arrogantly of themselves. They've not realized this one truth. Well, the last point that I want to share with you this morning, or this evening, wherever we are, is the riches of being poor. The requisite of being poor is helplessness. And that's the kind he's speaking of. The reason for being poor is so God can exchange himself for you. Instead of that old nature of the seed of Adam, he can put within you God's nature. And thirdly, the riches of being poor. Now that's a strange statement, isn't it? The riches of being poor. Look what it said. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now what does he mean by that? Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now the Jews thought that that kingdom was going to be an earthly kingdom and one day in the millennium will certainly be. But the kingdom that Christ came to give is a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of man. Now a kingdom is the territory where a king reigns. And the King Jesus has come into our hearts. He wants to rule and reign in our life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Who is it that has the victory in the Christian life today? Those who admit they can't do it themselves. Those who have come to God spiritually bankrupt and put themselves at His disposal. Those are the ones who walk in victory. Why? Because King Jesus rules in their life. You see, when He's Lord of your life, how in the world we can separate Savior and Lord, I just don't know. I don't understand that. Some people preach that you come and receive Jesus as your Savior and later on claim Him as Lord. We have so dissected the Christian walk that now we think it's two experiences. My friend, you come to Jesus as Savior, but you bow before Him as Lord. And the question of His Lordship was that which prevailed through the whole New Testament. You receive Him as Lord. King Jesus wants to rule in our life. And my friend, when you let Jesus be the Lord of your life, when He absolutely is in control of your life, there is nothing that is too costly for you to give up or to whatever He asks you to do for because the result, the end result, is so much better than anything He ever took out of your life. A lot of people think that His commandments are restrictions to their happiness. Do you feel that way? You know, I went to a revival one time, and I was preaching in a little country church. Stephen went with me for 11 straight weeks to these little revival, little country churches. And he'd sit there, and he'd look over at me and say, Hey, Daddy, there's only 12 people here tonight, you know. He wasn't really impressed. And one night I got really fired up. Boy, I was just really going after it. And he turned around and started smiling at everybody. I didn't know what this was going to do. I think he was saying, You haven't heard anything yet. Just hang on. But I was in this revival. And for four nights, you know what I preached on? The Lord put this message on my heart. 
just simply what we have in the Lord Jesus, what God has done in, in our life. And people came up to me afterwards and said, well, we're really disappointed in the week. And I said, why? Well, we just didn't get our toes stepped on. And I thought, my, where are we, folks? The riches, oh, listen. When you understand who He is, you have no trouble with His restrictions. You have no trouble with His commandments. Some people don't even think a man's preached unless he's walked up and down and shouted and thrown a chair or two. Listen, friend, the Word of God ought to be conviction enough in your life. When you realize that He has given you His nature and He as King has entered your life, now He wants to rule and reign in your life. And it should make sense that the righteous welcome reproof for the things He demands of your life are simply those things which will enhance your life. You see, the more you give to Him, the more He's got in store for you in a sense of your becoming like Him. Well, let me clarify this. No price is too great. Now, I haven't mentioned this yet, and I've been waiting to, for a time to do it. There's another set of Beatitudes. And I have to be totally honest. I never knew this until Brother Sparrows pointed this out to me last week. I've really learned so much and got so excited about it. I just wanted to shout every time I thought about it. Look with me in Luke, the sixth chapter. Now, tomorrow, don't miss part two of this great teaching on verse-by-verse -verse Bible study with Dr. Wayne Barber. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.